The Ill-Advised Abduction of Tanisan Senior There were precious few who could get the better of Tanisan. Two, if I had to put a number on it. One was the insufferable William, the rough, tough stray cat who insisted on doing his business in her garden in the face of all disincentives, while the other was her own darling mother, Tanisan Senior, whose business lay elsewhere. As far as the latter was concerned, I don't think it would be too far off the mark to say that Tanisan was emotionally compromised by the parent-child relationship, which prevented her from acting with her usual, how should I put it, clarity and vigour. For example, there was a time when her mother was asked to move out of her house for a while. Tanisan had popped round the day before to deliver some old ladies' things, when she noticed that the light in the hallway was flickering. She changed the bulb, but the flickering continued. So she then decided to call in an electrician, although her mother insisted that it was a lot of fuss about nothing. The actual experts begged to disagree. In fact, the wiring in the house was deemed to be in such a poor state of repair that the whole place could go up in flames at any moment. There was nothing for it but a complete overhaul. Well, I'm not going anywhere, said a sulky Tanisan senior, crossing her arms, and that's all there is to it. It's only for a day or so, said Tanisan. No, said Senior. But you can come and stay with me, said Tanisan. I don't want to, said Senior. Well, how about Aunt Noriko then, suggested Tanisan. She's offered to put you up. Absolutely not, said her mother. And don't think I don't know what you're up to, she said. Whatever that meant. Presumably, this stalemate would have gone on indefinitely, had three disgruntled former employees of Tanisan not stepped up to the plate with their ridiculous kidnapping scheme. The first Tanisan knew about it was when she turned up at her mother's house the following day, only to find that she wasn't there. She searched high and low, finally ending up in her mother's bedroom, where she was surprised to find cupboards open, drawers emptied, and many of her mother's belongings scattered about. Just then, her telephone rang. We have your mother, came the strangely distorted voice at the other end, which had been altered to disguise the identity of the speaker. Oh, good, said Tanisan, who was very relieved to hear it. Keep her there, she said, and promptly hung up. She then wasted no time in contacting Ikebukuro Electrical Rescue Services to inform them that the rewiring work in her mother's house could now go ahead. Afterwards, while she was waiting for the workmen to turn up, she tidied up the mess that had been left by the kidnappers. Scattered about among the debris were some old black and white photographs that had fallen out of a drawer in her mother's dresser. One was of a celebration that had taken place at the family restaurant in Gifu back in 1957. Never before had she seen so many tannies gathered together under one roof. If the local police had got to know about it, they would have had a field day. There was Uncle Kakuzo, who had been blacklisted by every major insurance company after his water hose and fire extinguisher factory mysteriously burnt to the ground during a heavy rainstorm in the Great Kyushu Flood of 1953. Seated at the same table was Tanisan's Aunt Sada, the celebrated hostess and nightclub singer, who eventually ended up in Saitama, or at least parts of her did. But it was the picture beneath that which really captured Tanisan's attention. Taken during the same period, it showed an attractive young woman covered in jewellery, and very little else, cavorting on a dance floor. Could it be? Surely not. But yes, 
The eyes had that same gimlety look about them, and there was that little brown mole on the side of her nose, just like the one that Tanisan had inherited. With this came the startling realisation that she'd stumbled on a find of no less significance than those famous allegations concerning FBI director J. Edgar Hoover, who, when not persecuting communists, liked nothing better than to mince about his boudoir in women's clothing, apparently. So it was with mounting excitement that she turned the picture over to examine the inscription on the other side. With Kyoko at the Wawa Club, it said, June the 21st, 1951. At this point, her phone started to ring again. Yes, hello, yes, she said impatiently. We have your mother, came the sinister voice at the other end. I know, said Tanisan, who was still preoccupied with her game-changing discovery, vis-a-vis Tanisan Senior. You already said that, Lord Vader. Get to the point. Well, we're holding a hostage, stammered the kidnapper, suddenly finding himself in very unfamiliar territory. And? What do you mean, and? said the kidnapper. We want money, obviously. You pay the ransom, we give her back. That's how this works. Tanisan fell silent for a moment. She was racking her brains trying to figure out who this Kyoko was and how she knew her mother. Hello? said the kidnapper in utter disbelief. Are you still there? Yes, yes, said Tanisan. I'll think about it, she said, and promptly hung up again. She then had a bit of a brainwave. She suddenly remembered that her mother kept an old address book in the desk downstairs, listing all the people whom she favoured with a New Year's card. She found it in the bottom drawer. Still extant amongst the numerous crossings out were two Kyokos. Kyoko Maida, a middle-aged housewife from Senior's Tai Chi group, and Kyoko Tamura, whose home address put her in Goi, the small town in Gifu Prefecture where Tanisan Senior had grown up. So then Tanisan went online and checked the times of the trains. However, as she was making her way to the station, she got another call from the kidnappers. You again, she complained. What is it this time? We want 30 million yen in used notes delivered in two green holdalls to the following address. Never mind all that, said Tanisan. If you've really got your heart set on kidnapping my mother, you ought to know what you're in for. I'd hate to see you suffer unnecessarily. For one thing, she's prone to the occasional bout of asthma, hypertension and weak knees. Though that last one sounds a bit made up, if you ask me. It's funny how they always flare up whenever she wants some shopping done or needs a prescription picking up from the pharmacy. Oh, and by the way, when you do collect her medicines, make sure that you get both packages. They often forget to include the eye drops. Whoa, whoa, said the kidnapper. Aren't you forgetting something? There are only ruthless extortionists at this end of the line, no healthcare professionals. Besides, she seems pretty healthy to me. She hasn't stopped talking since she got here. Yes, well, that was one of the other things I was going to mention, explained Tanisan. You will find as the day wears on that she has tons of opinions, plus a little bit of a tendency to be on the authoritarian side. If I were you, I'd give her something useful to do to keep her happy. Don't forget, it's your kidnapping, not hers, and it would be an awful shame if you let her ruin it after all that careful planning. With that, she headed up the subway escalator to the south gate of Tokyo Station, which was teeming with travellers. Anyway, she said by way of summary, as long as you stay alert and avoid eye contact, you should be fine. And again, she hung up. Her journey from Tokyo to Gifu took a little over two hours by Shinkansen, 
Then it was another 30 minutes on a local train to the little town of Goy, a picturesque settlement nestling in the snow-capped mountains. She'd phoned ahead to alert Mrs Tamura to the fact that she would like to come and speak to her about her mother, and the old lady had cheerfully agreed. So they decided to meet up at the widow's home, which was a tiny apartment above a laundromat on the main street. Well, the only street, to be honest with you. Well, I must say, it's very nice to meet the daughter of Tanisan, who, by an odd quirk of fate, is also called Tanisan, in spite of being married to a man not called Tanisan, who may or may not exist, said the small and wrinkly Mrs Tamora, summarising the situation, as far as she understood it, while pouring out the tea in her tiny back room. And, of course, we mustn't forget that prior to all that, there was also Tanisan. Beg pardon, said Tanisan, who was understandably confused. Your grandmother? said Mrs. Tamura. Oh, yes, said Tanisan. Orbachan, you mean. Quite, said Mrs. Tamura. Tell me, she said, did you know her at all? Oh, yes, very well, said Tanisan. We often used to visit when I was young. She was the one who taught me how to throw stones. We were the scourge of officialdom. That's nice, smiled Mrs. T, offering her guest a local sweetmeat. But, of course, your mother and grandmother were always at loggerheads before you were born. Really, said Tanisan, who then took a homemade cookie. And why was that, may I ask? Well, uh, between you and me, said Mrs Tamura, your mother was a bit of a good-time girl back in the day. Drinking, dancing, smoking, belching, you name it. However, it was the boyfriends who were the main bone of contention, with a particular emphasis on the quantity over the quality, if you take my meaning. Well, of course, it's not for me to stand in judgment, but I don't think I would be exaggerating when I say that you could have easily staffed a small to medium-sized insurance company with them. But the less said about that, the better. Tanisan sat up straight and paid very close attention. As long as she could remember, her mother had chosen to portray herself as the epitome of moral rectitude, so all this came as a bit of a revelation. Well, 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 she said, gleefully reaching into her bag for her smartphone. That is interesting. Do go on, Tamura-san. In fact, would you mind if I recorded this? Mrs T had no objection as such, but was keen to present a favourable picture of her dear old friend, which was very much to her credit. Well, uh, as I say, she went on, apart from the industrial turnover in boyfriends, I have nothing but good things to say about her. If it hadn't been for your mother, I would never have met my husband, who was passed on to me as one of her pre-loved hand-me-downs. To tell you the truth, I always wished I could have been a bit more like her. Beautiful, clever, lovely singing voice. Whoa, said Tanisan. Can I just stop you there? My mother never sings. Never. Not these days, perhaps, said the old lady, rising slowly from her chair. But there was a time when she was known as the Gifu Bush Warbler. With that, she hobbled off into the tatami room, only to re-emerge a moment or two later struggling under the weight of an old-fashioned record player in a red vinyl case. Tanisan helped to set it down on the table next to the teapot and plugged it in. In the meantime, Mrs T went over to the shelf and leafed through some old 78s. Among them was a record in a plain paper sleeve with a beige label. Written on it were the following words. The Mermaid and the Sailor, performed by The Bush Warbler. Mrs. Tamura placed the record on the turntable and lowered the needle onto it with a shaky hand. The song began pleasantly enough. There was a short and rather tinny piano introduction, then the voice came in, 
a pleasing, if untrained soprano, that nevertheless did justice to what was, in the end, a nice enough tune. The only problem was the lyrics, which were pure filth from beginning to end. Not that the old lady seemed to care. She just sat there, quietly patting her hands together in time to the music, while Tanisan recorded the whole thing on her smartphone. Immediately afterwards, it began to buzz, so Tanisan excused herself and went out onto the balcony to answer it. It was the kidnappers again. Funnily enough, I was just thinking about you, she said. How are you bearing up? Well, I take your point about the opinions, said the voice at the other end. How do we stop them? I told you, said Tanisan. Give her something useful to do. Oh, she's already found that, said the voice. She's decided to supervise her own kidnapping and now takes enormous pleasure in telling us all the things that we're doing wrong. Our hideout could easily be compromised, apparently, and we're not ruthless enough. I gather that she acquired her expertise from your cousin Shunsuke, who is a specialist in this sort of thing. I take it that he works for the police? Uh, no, said Tanisan, not exactly. Anyway, I'm phoning to tell you that the ransom has gone up from 30 million to 50 million yen, and you have 48 hours to come up with it. That's outrageous, complained Tanisan, who could have easily met that deadline if she had wished, but had no intention of doing so. And let me just say that if you ever hope to be rid of my mother, you're going the wrong way about it. It was your mother's idea, said the kidnapper. We would have been more than happy with 30 million, but she says she's worth a lot more to you than that. Oh, she does, does she? said Tanisan. Well, I have a better idea. Instead of 50 million yen in 48 hours, how about 25 million yen in 24 hours? That way you both walk away happy. You get almost all of your 30 million yen demand, but with the added bonus of getting rid of my mother one day sooner than you would do otherwise, whereas she has the satisfaction of knowing that she's still worth the same amount to me per unit hour. Plus, she gets home quicker. The kidnapper thought about this for a moment. 25 million yen for spending one day less in your mother's company, he mused. A bargain by any standard, said Tanisan. Do you think she would go for it? Who knows? We can but try. Call me back when you have an answer, said Tanisan. And she hung up again. She then went back into Mrs. Tamura's tiny living room, just as the elderly widow emerged from the kitchen with some Mayogobuchi, a local delicacy that reminded Tanisan of those halcyon summers long ago when she used to stay with her grandmother, Tanisan Senior Senior. Very often, after spending a happy afternoon smashing windows at the old paper mill, they would stop off for some on their way home. Did you know, said Mrs. T as she set down the tray, that your mother once occupied these very rooms? No, said Tanisan, casting a cursory eye at the yellowed wallpaper. How did that come about? Well, apart from being a great beauty and a gifted chanteuse, she also had a keen eye for a quick yen. But of course, young women did not have the opportunities they have these days in those days. You had to make your own luck. Anyway, your mother saw an opportunity to develop a niche in the family business and ended up making a tremendous success of it. Now, just hold on a minute, said Tanisan, who found herself faced with yet another discrepancy. As long as I can remember, my mother has always looked down on the family business and tells all her friends that she comes from samurai stock. Are you now telling me that she actually participated in shady practices? Well, I don't know if you'd call them shady exactly, said Mrs T., 
who seemed not altogether convinced by her own argument. On second thoughts, she said, you definitely would, but you can't falter on her business acumen. After all, it was her idea to open the world's first identity dry cleaner and money laundry on these very premises. We wash away all sins was the motto. I say we because I was responsible for the legitimate side of the business, the part that actually cleaned people's clothes, and still does, by the way, though it's all self-service today, like everything else. Tanisan regarded her with a puzzled frown, which the old lady was quick to pick up on. Ha! she exclaimed. You didn't know about any of this, did you? She then reached over to the shelf and took down an old photograph album, which she dug out before Tanisan arrived, thinking that she would be interested in seeing some old pictures of her mother. Back then, she said, the Tanny family businesses were booming, yet they were still having cash flow problems because of all those pesky serial numbers that the government would insist on printing on every banknote, the little devils. So your mother and I set up shop in this building to provide a very particular service. Regular laundry bags would go into the machines on the left, whereas money laundry bags would go into those on the right. From there, they would be brought upstairs to these rooms, where they would be emptied out and the contents counted. That was your mother's job, and very good she was at it too. Yet where she really excelled was in her ability to find new ways of investing all that soiled capital and getting a nice clean return on it. Once we had sufficient stocks of ready cash, we were able to set up a while-you-wait service, which was very popular. And that in turn enabled us to employ your uncle Hikaru, whose artistic talents were put to good use, providing our rapidly expanding client base with additional dry-cleaning services for passports, import-export licences and so on. Here's a picture of your mother and I on the day we took ownership of the premises. Tanisan leant over the old lady's shoulder to examine a black-and-white photograph. Two young women, dressed in loose-fitting overalls and headscarves, were working away with mops and buckets on the veranda that had once stood outside the corner shop downstairs. The facade looked very different in those days. There was no plate glass or colourful signage. It was a wooden, rickety-looking structure with a, an enormous plastic fish hanging above the entrance, a gaudy remnant of its former function. Over the page was a series of pictures that must have been taken at around the same time as the one that Tanisan had stumbled across at her mother's house. Clearly, it was when her mother and Mrs. Tamura were making a lot of money from the laundry, and life was an endless round of nightclubs and parties. There was a young Tanisan senior, drinking, dancing, flirting with boys, and dressed in such a way as to leave very little to the imagination. This got Tanisan thinking as to how she might get these images copied, captioned, and sent out to all her mother's friends as New Year's cards. I suppose in the end we were the victims of our own success said Mrs. Tamura as she turned another page. As partners, your mother and I wanted to keep the business local, strictly a family concern. But when word got out that we were running a highly lucrative money laundry out in the sticks, it came to the attention of Tokyo crime boss Hideo Kodama, who was under investigation at the time. If you remember, it was his construction company that built the Komagatsu flyover with the support of various backers, who then ended up as part of the supports. At any rate, he saw our little business venture as a way of hiding some of his ill-gotten gains from the inquiry, and made us an offer we couldn't refuse. All of a sudden, large amounts of capital started flooding in and we couldn't cope with it. It was only a matter of time before the inevitable mix-up occurred. How do you mean? asked Tanisan as she sampled another rice-based parcel of gingery deliciousness. Well, let me put it this way, said Mrs. T. 
The following September, the Kadama gang took delivery of 40 pairs of pants, socks and vests, while the local children's hospital opened a brand new wing, quadrupled its staff intake and established a world-leading research centre for the eradication of hookworm. Oh dear, said Tanisan. Oh dear indeed, concurred Mrs Tamura. Well, of course, our first reaction was to make ourselves scarce. So your mother ran off to stay with a maiden aunt in Ikebukuro, while I hid out with some relatives on the family farm. Yet as it turned out, we needn't have bothered. All those investors that crime boss Kadama had so artfully integrated into the flyover abutments via the medium of concrete had important friends, and so shortly afterwards he suffered a similar fate. In fact, I believe he now supplements the annex foundation stones of the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. Do you know it at all? Oh yes, said Tanisan. I once had occasion to visit the bakery. They do a very nice macaroon. Lovely, said the aged widow. Well anyway, after a time I drifted back here, whereas your mother decided to stay on in Tokyo to make a new life for herself. We haven't seen each other since, though we still exchange cards every year. With this, the conversation seemed to draw to a natural conclusion. So Tanisan finished her tea, put away her smartphone, and began gathering together her few things. She was grateful to Mrs Tamura for all the compromising background information she'd managed to glean on her mother, though she didn't actually couch it in those terms, and promised to visit her again soon, perhaps bringing Senior with her. In the meantime, she wondered whether she could borrow the photograph album on the entirely false pretext of showing the pictures to her mother, though in fact her intentions were quite different, as I've already explained. Mrs Tamura kindly acceded to the request, and so once they'd said their goodbyes, Tanisan headed back to the railway station to pick up the local train. On the way there, she got another call from the kidnappers. Good news, said their leader. After some fairly intense wrangling, your mother has agreed to the ransom demand of 25 million yen in 24 hours. Since then, however, I've had a chance to talk to my colleagues, and we're very much of the opinion that if she's willing to accept that, she'd probably go for 17 million in 16 hours. It's the same deal as far as she's concerned. Slightly better, in fact. So, now you're asking for even less, said a confused Tanisan. Well, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose, conceded the kidnapper. If money was the only consideration. But just hear me out. It's now five o'clock, and while ideally we'd like to have her off her hands by, well, yesterday if it was up to me, we realise that it's too late to get the ransom together today before the banks close. That said, if we can knock her out with a couple of sleeping pills, we should be able to get through the next 16 hours without too much trouble. But you must promise to be there when the banks open again tomorrow morning. We'll make the exchange immediately afterwards. Hmm said a doubtful Tanisan as she passed through the entrance to Goy Station. I'm afraid that's not going to work. My mother's house is being rewired at the moment, so there's nowhere for her to go back to until it's finished. Well, can't she stay with you? She's refused to. At this, there was an exasperated sigh from the head kidnapper, who knew exactly how that felt. OK, look, he said. I'll have to discuss this with the others and get back to you. So then it was his turn to hang up. Tanisan took the local train back to Gifu and from there picked up the Tokaido Shinkansen, arriving back in the city later that evening. 
Throughout the journey, the kidnappers tried to call her again and again, but she turned her phone off in accordance with Japanese etiquette as regards the public transport system. By the time they finally got through to her, the situation had deteriorated dramatically. Look, you've really got to help us out here, said the lead kidnapper when he finally managed to re-establish contact with her. She caught us trying to slip sleeping tablets into her pickles, so the deal's off and the ransom's back up to 50 million. What's more, she's refusing to leave until every single yen of it is paid. And for every hour that passes after that deadline, it's going up by another million. In the meantime, we're supposed to pick up her beta blockers and deliver some steamed buns to your aunt's house, for some bizarre reason that I've not been able to fathom. In the afternoon, we're going hideout hunting, apparently. Well, I don't know what you expect me to do, said Tanisan. She reached into her pocket for her door key. I told you this would happen if you didn't stay on top of things. Can't you talk to her? Asked the kidnapper, who was more or less at the end of his tether. She'll listen to you. You're a daughter. What's it worth? Asked Tanisan, who was testing the limits as usual. There was a brief pause while the harried soul at the other end considered his options. Okay, look he said. We'll pay the bill for the rewiring work to her house if you can convince her to drop the whole ransom thing. All right, agreed Tanisan, though the irony of the situation had not escaped her. Put her on. She then heard some scuffling noises as the phone was passed from one to the other. Then Senior came on. Hello, Kazuko Tani here, she announced in her best telephone voice. Who is this calling, please? It's me, said Tanisan. You know it is. Why are you talking like that? I've been kidnapped, said her mother flatly. Yes, I know all about it, said Tanisan. I also know that you've been making it a hundred times worse than it needs to be. Well, that's not fair for a start, said her mother in an altogether different tone. All I wanted to do was to sit here nicely. But I couldn't stand by and watch a golden opportunity like that go to waste. These people don't know what they're doing. Evidently not, said Tanisan. All the same, I want you to drop it now, Okasan. Or should I say, the Gifu Bush Warbler? This last phrase seemed to have a magical effect on Tanisan Senior, who suddenly fell silent. When she spoke again, her guard was up. How do you know that name? she snapped. Who have you been talking to? Never mind that, said Tanisan. We'll discuss it later. In the meantime, put the mastermind back on. So then the phone was handed back to the individual she'd been speaking to before, and Tanisan assured him that he would have no more trouble with her mother from then on, which indeed proved to be the case, surprisingly. I believe they call it an exchange when the financial conditions are met and the unwitting hostage is returned to their family unharmed. In this case, it was a rather one-sided affair, in the sense that not only were the kidnappers returning the hostage unharmed, but they were also having to pay for the privilege. This slightly unorthodox transaction took place early the following morning at a deserted container terminal down by the waterfront at Tokyo Bay. At 5.30 on the dot, a grey Toyota van with blacked-out windows pulled up at the curb and a man wearing a ski mask jumped out. He then went round to the rear of the vehicle and opened the double doors. Tanizan Senior was in the back, wearing a blindfold and sitting in a hospital wheelchair for some reason. She was lowered to the ground on a hydraulic platform, like a Hollywood serial killer, before being wheeled out into the middle of the car park. On her lap was a bag containing 35,251 yen in cash, which covered the repair bill to her house. 
Tanisan checked it before the van sped off. As for Senior herself, she remained meek and mild throughout, which just goes to prove that while you should always be able to trust your loved ones, it's so much better to have the goods on them.